This one's for Stone. What's up, everybody? Who's Schmitty with another episode of Talking Schmidt? Today on the program, we have the one and only Keith Meek, Triple OG from Saratoga, I believe. It's going to be good. Listen up. Might even be three hours. Who knows how long we're going to talk. But it's going to be a long one, and there's going to be a lot of NorCal history and history in general. I got some stuff to say. First and foremost, congratulations, Alyssa Steamer. You have finally landed on the cover of Thrasher magazine. So stoked for you. I know that's always been something you wanted, and now you can check it off the list. Uh, hi, this is Keith Meek, and I'm listening to Talkin' Schmidt. Hey, hey, hey. Talking Schmidt. I'm already not watching. It's cool. Like, tonight is the night. Damn, this is like the coolest thing I'm ever going to do. <laughs> I wouldn't say it was fun. What do you mean? Well, Christian Fletcher's younger brother. Fuck the Dodgers. Oh, big dog's in. What do you think, Dolan? Beyond? Schmitty? Talking Schmidt. Alpha macaroni. Most of these guys, their opinion don't matter. Talking Schmidt, right? It's skateboarding. I remember that. Talking Schmidt. What are yuns doing? Holy shit. Skateboarding homies. No, Schmidt, you can't jump in. What is happening? I'm here for Wi-Fi check one, Wi-Fi check two. All right. Hello, everybody. I'm a little nervous, a little giddy, and I'm <laughs> super stoked. Today, we got an OG that started skating before Thrasher Magazine. I think before there was even Derby. This is Keith Meek from Santa Cruz. NorCal legend. Thanks for uh, taking the time and being on the show. Thanks for hitting me up, dude. I'm honored. Like, I love your podcast. It's fucking, it's awesome. Ah, thank you. Uh, No, you do a good job. The most mind-blowing shows I've seen to this day. When did you start skateboarding? Like, 73, 74. Like, when I started skating, I I was in South Side, uh, South San Jose. Oh, okay. Like Saratoga, right? My family moved to Santa Cruz in 1979. Oh, okay. Right in the heart of Winchester was kind of happening, you know. I got kind of got dragged away to the land of no coping. Hey, what do you know? What uh, drew you to it? Like, in, in that era, was it popular? Like, how did you start skateboarding? You know, I, like, I was in seventh grade, and I totally remember this. Like, it seemed like it happened in one day. Everyone had a skateboard at my school, and I'm like, what what the hell's going on like that's sick skateboards i know what those are like and uh someone well i want one of those you know and like so i fucking had to piece one together because i didn't have money and i think uh, you know, my friends were buying like i think you could go to kmart or something and get like a a hang 10 with chicago trucks and uh cadillac wheels for like 34 bucks but dude that was like a thousand dollars to me you know like yeah but I, I somehow I pieced together some trucks and some wheels and some decks and I kept modifying it. Like I'd update, like someone would give me an old deck and I'd get a better deck, you know, and it was back when, you know, loose ball bearings, just nightmare, dude. You'd be skating down the sidewalk and all of a sudden you'd just be all, eh, and your, your bearings be rolling down the sidewalk and you, after you ate shit, you know, and you just have to go find them. Because <laughs> they weren't cased, right? No case. It was just loose. Uh huh. Was there other wheels? Because I always hear Cadillac wheels. Like everybody in that era seemed like they rode Cadillac wheels. Was there other wheels? 
Yeah, that was like the like this shit was moving fast, you know. Like, but for a, for a second there, Cadillac wheels were the shit, you know. But then I ended up buying like a some Stoker wheels. They're getting bigger, and that was cool. Like, oh, I got the bigger wheels, you know. And I remember I got some Stoker wheels. I was all fucking stoked. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was a nightmare though. The loose ball bearings. And then I got us, you know, my first set of road riders, and that just changed everything. And that's when living a dream began, right there. I mean, I'd see guys in the mag, you know, T.A., Jay Adams, all those guys, Greg Weaver, and they all were riding road riders, and it's just like, what? I got to get a set of those. I didn't even know they were, like, from right around the corner, you know? <laughs> and then, like, so uh, as soon as I got those, I was I was stoked, man. You just slide them on there. You didn't have to worry about your bearings falling out, and, and they were way smoother and faster. Changed the game. So we were just scrounging around finding ditches and bowls and going down hills and doing the nose wheelie handstand thing, you know, all that slalom. And uh, we used to go like take the bus to Los Gatos and we'd go downhilling. And I fuck dude, I hate downhilling. I fucking <laughs> I ate shit so bad. I was just over it like day one, you know, but uh, I used to go down. I used, we used to take the bus like me and Ray Stevens. He was like my original skate partner. Did Ray live by you or was Mike Fox live by you? One of those guys, right? All of them. Yeah, we had our own little crew. But uh -huh. Ray, Ray lived like behind me, like two doors down. So I could walk on the fence, like to get jump into his backyard and shit, you know? Yeah. And he had a little pond that we'd skate. Oh, sick. Dude, it was like maybe three feet, two feet, three feet deep with like brick coping. Right. Little kidney. And it was tiny, dude. It was fucking like wall to wall was probably six feet or something, you know. And we'd session the thing. So we'd put ramps, we'd get plywood and we'd set them up on the electrical boxes. We could make them steeper, you know. And we'd be like, oh, yeah, make it steep. Yeah, you this. Uh -huh. <laughs> we'd like name the spots, you know, for the, the steepness of it. So, Uvis was going, right? Yeah. Uvis, I think, is the first legitimate skate spot I skated. Because, like, there was – when I first started, there was a skate shop called Skateboard City in Campbell. Oh, okay. Mike Fox worked there and Scott Odewall and, like, Matt Etheridge and those dudes hung out there. Uh-huh. Know them yet? Um, but I'd go there and they had ramps in the back parking lot, like little angle ramps. But they mm -hmm. had, like, four or five of them. So that was, like, a skate spot. So we'd go there and skate. And I remember uh, Scott Odewall, like, I was riding the steep one and he's all, hey, you like that steep ramp? And I'm all – I'm all, yeah, man, it's cool. And he's like, you ever been to Uvis? I'm all, oh, what's that? <laughs> you know? And that's how I found out about Uvis. And wow, so okay. I looked on a map, Uvis Dam, figured it out, got a ride out there. Some One of the older dudes had a car. Pull up at Uvis and do full-blown session. No like, way. people used to session it. Like, <clears throat> there's like 15 dudes there riding, you know? And, like, you go there now and it's just crickets. But it's like, it was on. Like, that was a skate spot. And then I went there and then I, you start meeting other people. Skaters are so cool. They're interested. Like, where are you from? Where do you skate? You know? And then Blackheart's name popped up. Like, you seen Blackheart skate here? And you just all, who's that? It's all, dude, he drops in at the top. And you're just like, fuck, no way. You know? And so I started hearing like, okay, KT's name, Blackheart's name. You start to hear these names and you don't really 
know what they look like. Nothing. Never seen photos of them. There's there's no videos. You can't film shit. Right. So like Uvis was one of the first spots, and then uh, Kennedy Bowl was another one in uh, in Los Gatos. Okay. You drive like two and a half mile walk up the hill. Like I remember the first time I went there, this guy Kirby took me and Ray. We went to Gremick. He's like, you guys want to skate a bowl? And we're all, fuck yeah. And so he, we skated there and then walked up the hill two and a half miles, I think. And like there's skaters coming down the hill that were skating. So you're all, whoa, this is like going to be legit. Like we get up there, full blown session up there, cement bowl in this front yard of this house, like, like a reservoir. Was it an abandoned house or something? No, there's like, this girl lived there. Or people lived there, but they just didn't care. Oh. There's like, there's probably like 15 dudes there when we showed up. <laughs> fucking, and this dude's fucking, this dude's doing nose wheelies around the, the top, right? And I'm like, whoa, that's sick. And I didn't know, but like years later, I figured out it was fucking Matt Etheridge. No way. That's yeah, amazing. Dude, everything is all interconnected. It's pretty sick. Like the timing and how everything worked out. Right. And uh, so as you're meeting those guys, um, what kind of, cause I know that you guys were both doing music too, eventually, like what kind, what kind of stuff are you listening to in the seventies? Like, uh, like those days before, like, like as you're starting to skate, what's the music that's getting you hyped? I'm listening to like, like, dude, I was born and bred on Sabbath. Like uh, my older brother is really into music. And so I was just following his lead and, he was getting his music from his best friend's brother that was like a senior in high school. We were like, I was in like third grade or something. So okay. we were listening to Sabbath and stuff right when those albums were coming out. You know, oh, new Sabbath album's coming out. Like, right, just raw, dude. It was sick. And so I listened to Sabbath and ACDC and fucking all kinds of that shit. Nugent, uh-huh. Queen. Standard rock stuff. Rock and roll. But like, I like the heavier stuff, you know? Okay. And like Mike Fox and Howard Quebec actually turned me on to punk rock. Okay. That's where I was going to ask. 77, 78. And Howard like had this fucking huge collection already. So I borrowed albums from Howard, like, you know, the dams first album, sex pistols, Ramones, mm. buzzcocks, like Dickies, like just a lot of that stuff. Just, I just fucking gave all my fucking rock and roll records to my brother. I'm like, hey, you can have these. I don't even want these touching my punk. You know, it's weird, right? Like looking back, and I'm I'm later. I'm like in the '80s, mid '80s. But same thing happened with me. Was when we started skating, it was just like we don't know what the fuck's going on. We're trying to figure it out, but we're stoked and we're put, building ramps and, and wood like these, yeah. you know, just crap. In high school, somebody shows up and goes, dude you got to go to the varsity with me and see these punk bands that are playing there. And I went to one show and it just changed my life almost like the same way skateboarding changed your life. Like it was a feeling that it's, it's hard to describe really, but it just felt like this is what I belong in and this is my people. And it was kind of crossing over where skaters were at the punk shows and skaters were becoming punk and, and just individualism and all that stuff really started to become more clear trying to figure out what you're going to do. And I feel like that was just like 
oh, we got to go do that. Like when we saw, I think it was, I want to say it was the faction and suicidal tendencies. It was the first show I saw at the varsity. And I remember just going like, dude, I need, like we started going every week to shows and like, we'd go up to the farm and do all this other stuff. I guess what I'm trying to get at is what's your version of that? Cause you're like 10 years earlier into punk probably. Right. Or like 79 or something. 70, late 77, 78, 79. Like my first show, Mike Fox took me on my first show. He took me to the Ramones in Berkeley. I think oh, it was 77. That rolls. I think it was 77, but I didn't even know who the Ramones were. And Mike was like, Mike did a lot for me. Like Mike took me under his wing. He took me to so many skate spots, pools. And like, he did a lot for me. And Howard, like those guys, like I owe a lot to them. But Mike, like, I remember, dude, he came to my house and he had to ask my mom, hey, can we take Keith to see some music up in Berkeley? And and she's all, what are you guys going to go see? And my mom was super cool. And he's all, he's all the Ramones. And she's all, oh, man, that sounds like a band from, like, when I was in high school, you know? Like, <laughs> and so she was always cool to, like, I could do, like, she let me, dude, she let me go to L.A. trips with Mike and shit. But so we went, and that was the first that was it, dude. I saw the Ramones and I'd already be kind of, I was already listening to Howard's records a little bit. Okay. Um, but that was the first show. And then do you remember the venue? It was like at some place that would have shows like a convention center or something like, that. I can't remember though. And then like, and then I started going to shows at the, um, the temple beautiful. Mm. Oh, the, that was the church where James Jones had his congregation. Right. And then they turned it into a, a like a punk venue. And so I saw like, I saw like Buzzcocks there, Dead Kennedys, Middle Class, Mutants, bunch of bands like, and that was probably 78, early 79, major venue for shows. Oh, like, wow. Huge shows. Like you'd see like five insane bands. Like you'd see like Black Flag, Adolescence, freaking Minutemen, you know, whoever, fucking Delude, fucking so many fucking bands in one night. We were at a show and we came out. And we walked around the corner. I was with this girl and I looked up and I, I saw the fucking the temple. And I was like, holy shit, it's right here. It was all closed down and fenced off and shit. But that those were early shows. Wow, dude. That must have been like, like, you know that, like who really has the fucking history on all the, the San Francisco scene in the 70s, the late 70s would be like, you know, you should get like talk to Mike Fox and like Chris and Anthony Fisher from a lot of fact, a lot of flex and Tony and Tommy Guerrero, you know, those dudes were into it early and those dudes, you know, they grew up born and raised in the city. So they're yeah. surrounded by it. Like, yeah, no, I've talked to Tommy a few times about things and uh, it's cool to, to pick, I guess like Henry Rollins came over to his house one day and, and really? the band was practicing in his basement or something and his mom was drinking tea with henry Rollins. like yeah. so weird they lived, uh, they lived downstairs i think it was below their their uncle's house or something so it was like the to get to their house you'd go through the garage and then there was the door from the garage and they had like a little apartment down their studio right Tommy and tony had a little room and then you'd come out of that room, go in the garage, and then you'd go up these little stairs to go into like where the living room and kitchen was in his mom's room. And that's where like revenge and all that went down. Jerry's kids. And free beer? Free beer. 
I, yeah, they, yeah, they're still living there when free beer is going on. So how did you meet Tony and Tommy? Like, was it through punk or through skating? Through skating. You knew them early. Dude, I, the first time I saw Tommy, I was at a contest and it was in 74, I think. Jesus. In Aptos. I still have the flyers. And it was a, it was just like a flat parking lot and they had a one angled ramp and it was just full blown like freestyle. Like, but it was like a big contest. The Sims team was there, the tunnel team, a lot of flex, like there's major players, Santa Cruz team. So there's dudes in the med while the Autry was there, you know, like Greg Ayers, like Steve Monahan, Sims dude jumping off the van, like that style stuff. I saw this little fucking dude with a beanie on, and greasy fucking hair, this little fucking dude. And I'm like, looking, I'm all, fuck, what's up with this guy? He looks rad. (laughs) He spins off like eight 360s. And I'm just like, whoa, what the fuck? And it was fucking Tommy. Ding. (laughs) Tiny. Dude, he had to be like eight or nine years old or something. Oh, my God. Like, a lot of people don't know, like, Tommy, dude, he's been ripping since fucking deep. Uh Uh-huh. Way before his pal stint, all that. Like, yeah, he was on Madrid before pal, right? Right, right, yeah. And he was skating vert and stuff. Like, there's photos of him doing like slobbers and yeah, that was even later. Like, he, we'd skate the parks together. Like, I, we'd go to Milpitas or Winchester or Campbell, like, because the South Bay was holding. Like that, all the good spots were in the South Bay. Uh-huh. And those dudes would come down, you know, and then the East Bay dudes would come down. It was kind of like everyone would congregate at the parks. And that's how I got to know like Tommy and Tony pretty well. And I remember they came down with Bryce at Winchester and I jumped in their car and fucking jammed up and spent the night at Bryce's. And we all hung at Bryce's house and snuck beers and shit, you know, like Grom status. And uh, that was right when the punk rock thing was just getting ready to start. We listened to Avengers in Bryce's bedroom. And like, so I, I've known those guys a long time. Me and Tony were pretty close. He'd come down, stay at my mom's house. I'd go up there, stay at their house. It's pretty cool. Were you kind of, as you're starting to get like connected with these guys and know more about skating and people and checking out the magazines and stuff is, and I know you surf too. Were you surfing at that time yet? I started surfing like around 1980. Okay. Right around that time when when the punk thing started happening is when I started surfing, which was horrible timing <laughs> right because, uh, i just moved to santa cruz in 79 i'm learning how to surf and i'm a punk so i'm just fucking hated <laughs> you uh. know <laughs> you're standing out in the water like just everything's against you <laughs> like don't know how to surf yet they hate punk in santa cruz you know like the whole just moved there like right i had some dues to pay Damn, was did you see Derby being made then? You were skating before Derby, right? Yeah, but I didn't skate Derby until I moved to Santa Cruz. Oh, okay. It already existed, which was weird because I remember going on a trip with uh, me and Bob and Ike and Cheeto and Scott Foss, maybe. We went over and we heard there was a pipe on the west side of Santa Cruz. They were building something and it was a silo that was on its side. And we saw it and now it's part of the Marine Lab or whatever. But uh, Derby's right there, and fuck, we didn't even know it was there. Okay. So we drove all the way over there. We didn't even skate because the thing, we couldn't get in. It was like there was security or something. And Derby's like 
a block away. Like we drove right by Derby. We didn't even know it was there. So I didn't know Derby was there until I moved to Santa Cruz. And that other park that I never got to skate, it, I think it was in SoCal, like it had some bumps and stuff. Oh, SoCal was like a legit skate park. In, it was built in 77, I think, 76, early. Uh. It it was a real skate park. It had half pipe. It had a receiver run, a mogul bowl. But it it was really bad. It was kinked. And by the time I was finished, it was out of date. Oh, but really? Was, like ripping dudes skated it, you know, like. Uh, Kevin Reed, that was his park. Did Roscop so, live there for a minute? Yeah, but so the, they they demoed the park, but they left the beginner bowl. Uh, so the beginner bowl was there, and this guy Brett By lived up there, and then John Insco moved in, and then Roscop ended up living there. So we had like our private little skate park. But it was funny too, because like Tony Roberts and Chris Heinen and those dudes were like super loped out fucking SC guys, right? They ripped at surfing. They fucking been skating forever, but they were younger. And Brett moves into the apartment and he starts laying down all these rules. I oh, can't skate here. And those dudes are like, dude, this is our skate park. You just moved in here. And so those, we would sneak in when Brett was there. Or we'd wait till Brett wasn't there, but then it, it all kind of, it, it all got cool after a while. But at first, like they were button heads. It was classic, dude. I cut my teeth at Derby. Those were good times. You had parties there, like bands would play and shit. Blast played there at the park. And oh, sick! Because it was like it's like Brett's backyard, you know. Yeah. You know, Tommy in the eighties, a lot of dudes were coming down and skating it. Like you probably see tons of photos and footage. Yeah, there was footage of like snake, like you know, a bunch of people just kind of following each other through there, like early footage. A mellow bowl. Hmm was like uh it had like flat walls you know with rounded tranny and rounded tops and then there was like a steep section that kind of had a little bit of a corner that would like go like it went it was probably about six foot high but uh -huh. it had round lips and it was steep enough where you could like you could do airs and inverts and shit on it and so you could just fly around this mellow bowl with like four foot walls and then you have this steep thing you could hit okay it was fucking pretty cool. Was there like a hip? Yeah. I, there was a hip. Yeah. There's a hip on the mellow. Part. Okay. But it was kind of hard to launch off. It wasn't steep, you know, all he wasn't perfected yet. <laughs> it's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Yes, this is Hansi Driscoll, and you're listening to Talking Schmidt. Okay, and we're back. Do you remember uh, the first time you loaded up the car with some bros and went on like a, a road trip for skateboarding? Dude, I was like a feral kid, dude. I was all over the fucking place. Oh, really? Fucking floor. Yeah, dude. I was like, my mom got divorced when I was from my dad when I was five and she never remarried. So it was just like, we were like wild. I was spending the night at everyone's house. Like, dude, we were going on skate trips all the time to Modesto, everywhere, Sacramento. But like, I remember this one time, it might have been the first time we, there's like this skate club, right? In the South San Jose. And, 
it was kind of like whatever. And then we heard they're like doing a trip to Anaheim, Concrete Wave. And so we're all, oh, fuck, we got to sign up for this lame skate club so we can go on the trip. And it was sick. It was me and my friend Chris Moran and Alan Mercer and Mike Fox, Howard Quebec, and Mark Odewal. And we get on this bus fucking late night, 11 o'clock, you know, and then they drive all night. You got to bring your own lunch and shit. It's like a school bus and we drive all night. We get to the park in the morning and then we skate all day, eat your lunch, whatever. But like Mike's like, dude, let's fucking bail. Let's, let's go find the fruit bowl. <laughs> it's like this pool that's been in like skateboarder magazine, fucking legendary sessions. They were like the dog town boys and everything. And, but so we get on the bus system. They were all, okay, we had to sneak out of there because you can't, you know, they're like watching you or whatever, like babysitting you pretty much. Um, so we sneak out of the park and we're all, oh, where are we going? And like, Mike always knew it was up. So I figured he knew it was up. And, but I knew he didn't know it was up when we we're on one side of the street and he's all, Oh, there's a bus on the other side of the street. Let's get that bus. So now we're going the other way that I thought we were supposed to go. So we basically spent the whole afternoon driving around a bus, trying to find the fruit bowl. And then we gave up and we're trying to get back and the buses aren't coming like fucking it's on a Sunday. And we're like, fuck, dude, we don't even know. Like, they don't know where we are. Fucking there's no <laughs> cell phones. Like, we're fucked. Like, and so we, uh, the bus finally came and we got back like 15 minutes before, like, the park was going to, we were going to leave to come back home. Mm. Dude's like, we, I remember we come walking in and the chaperone dudes were all fucking trying to get all gnarly on us. Like, hey, you fucking guy. We're all, whatever, dude. And we fucking <laughs> skated and then got yelled at on the way home on the bus. But like, that was the first like serious road trip, but like we were getting, we were getting after it. Like there was pipes and like our buckle had pipes that they were putting under the ground. There were like 16 foot perfect pipes and there was like fucking miles of them. So we was that? Up there and our buckles like, fuck, dude, like central Valley kind of. Oh, like out highway five. Uh, but yeah, but we drove we drove out there. Me and Al Mercer we took his dad's truck, and we found like six of those pipes in one day, just perfect. Skated them and Patterson pipe. We were doing road trips all the time, but like Mike Fox, he he took me on a fucking sick one. Uh, him and Mark Odewalt, we drove down to uh, L.A. and skated like Marina Del Rey and Sparks Galita. And we used to get down there with skated Lakewood Vista. Like we we're getting around. In the 70s, you know. Was there the NorCal SoCal vibe back then? There was kind of like this unwritten rivalry, but not really. Everyone got along, you know, when they skated together. But it was weird because NorCal was just pretty much unknown and didn't get any coverage barely in the early days of Skateboarder Magazine. It was all down south, guys. But then I think when it changes, when the newer contest happened when the first Hester series. So it was the first series that had vert skating, right? So there's spring Valley and then fuck, I can't remember all the parts. spring Valley, Hester, Newark. Everyone came Dogtown dudes, San Diego dudes. Everyone's there. It was the first time that I got to see like all those dudes skate in person. Oh, 
that was before the road trips I took down south. Was Stropel and Salva and those guys were there? Or? Everywhere. Okay. Just all the heavy hitters, the best of the best. Like, there's a big contest. And who was your guy? Like, who were you looking in the mags at and being like, that's my dude? My three favorite dudes were T.A., Jay Adams, and Greg Weaver. Huh. And I always thought, like... It's like a diverse I, I, crew. Yeah, yeah, kind of. But I thought if you could mold those dudes together, you'd have the perfect skater. Like, T.A. was I fucking sick style, fucking aggressive. Jay Adams was super innovative and fucking super aggressive. And then, like, Greg Weaver was, like, flow master. You know what I mean? Oh, man, if you could put all that together, that'd be fucking sick. So that's what I was trying to do, you know? Okay. Yeah, like, I, I was really, like, Mike Fox was a huge influence. And, like, he embedded it in me, like, style's important, you know? Mm. Speed and style and power. Mm-hmm. Like, there weren't a lot of tricks back in the 70s like in pools you know you're doing front side kick turns backside kick turns front side cards backside cards that's about it you know the tail tap was just kind of coming out you know so it was all focused on how fast you rode and how smooth and your style and in control and like yeah how did surfing help that surfing was fuck dude like i think i was just meant to surf i, I learned really fast like it helped me with backyard pool skating because before I surfed, I was like, okay, you got to get to the top of every wall. That's skateboarding. Fucking don't. What's this shit? You got to get on the coping. And then surfing kind of taught me different lines. Like you could hit this wall low to get the speed to get high on this wall to hit this corner. Like it opened my mind for drawing lines because surfing is an, it's an open slate. You know, you, you surf the wave however you want to. Mm. That helped me with pool skating, actually, surfing. What were some of the early pools you were skating? You mentioned, like, there was one in Los Gatos or something where you met KT. That was the Vans pool. I actually went to the Vans pool with Mike Fox, but I didn't get to skate because the owner looked at me and said, you're too little. And I'm like, dude, I'm going to bust tail taps in this fucking thing. Like, just let me take one run and it'll be, it'll be okay. And, and uh, he just wouldn't let me skate. I was so pissed. Like I just had to stand there and like, and watch these guys get like three quarters of the way up. And I'm just like fucking kidding me. But I think this is a story that Mike Fox told me recently. It's funny. It's uh, KT, I think was there because he lived like pretty much across the street. Oh. I know he lived in Willow Glen at this point, but uh, he was there and I didn't remember this, but Mike told me and, and the guy, the owner asked KT like, what do you think? Should I let these guys skate? And, and then KT's all, nah, man, they can stay dry. <laughs> so we got shut down, but I was like, uh, we, the whole thing was frustrating, but that pool, I never actually got to skate, but we had a pool, the swamp that was our pool in our neighborhood that we skated every day and, there's a lot of pools, dude. It was during that drought. Okay. And we started going up to Los Altos, pipe and pool. Not the kiddie pool, but the, the orange bowl. Right. Uh, Almaden Valley had pools, like San Jose, like downtown. Like we were getting around. Like Mike drove, so he would always hit me up. God, we got this new pool. Let's go. Like he took me under his wing. So we skated a lot of pools. What was your outlook on skating pools? Because 
like Salba seems like he wants to skate as many pools in one day as possible. Are you down for like trying to to find as many pools as possible? Or are you looking for the best pool to skate and then going there more repetitively and dialing it in? You don't really know until you get there because you're on the search, mm. like a little pool. And, and it was funny because back then it was like, you'd meet someone, you see someone with a skate on the bus or something, you wouldn't even say hi. You'd just be like, hey, got any pools? Yeah. And then, like, you know, that's how you're introducing yourself. <laughs> and then the dude's like, yeah, I got some pools. And, and so you're going to trade, right? And wow. so you're like, does this guy know what's up? And you're trying to pawn off shitty pools and get good pools. It's like <laughs> fucking playing blackjack or something. You know what I mean? And so sometimes you win, you know, but we would never give our good pools away, but we'd try to weasel. But uh, that was a good way to get pools, you know, like people, there's a little underground network. Right. I don't know. Mike always knew what was up, dude. Huh. Well, working at the skate shop, you're kind of the cool guy, right? Yeah. And even before that, but he just, he was older. He just knew what was up with everything. Like Hmm. I was just following Mike's lead completely. Like, what are we doing? (laughs) What do we got? (laughs) And uh, so we just go start skating pools and the network grew, you know, and then you start meeting people and like, a lot of those people we met got into the punk rock scene too. And we, and then the parks opened and then you knew them from the, the pools, the pool scene. Like it was like a big family. It was fucking sick. Mm. What's your like remembrance of uh Bombor? Cause that, that's so intriguing to me that it's like in our backyard and I've actually gone there a few times and looked at it and me and a couple of friends were like, we, could we dig it out if we just spent a year coming here every hour? Like, you <laughs> it's, know, like, I saw a photo. It's so high. Fuck. I know it's fucked by the neighborhood too. It's like, you're, they're going to, no neighbors are going to allow it. Oh uh, yeah, dude. They, they get kind of, eggy when you're even in the seventies, when you're there sometimes, but that pipe, I don't remember how we found out about it, but we took the bus there and, oh. and you pull in and you got to walk into the, the parking lot at Safeway. And then you go behind Safeway and you jump the fence and you get on like the, the reservoir trail. Yeah. And so you're walking and you can't see the pipe and, and you're walking and all of a sudden this fucking thing just you're, you're just all like whoa fucking it's huge it's like 22 foot or something and there was two pipes right there's the weird oval egg one and then there's the round one and the first day we went we walked all the way through the fucking uh oval one and we were skating the top of the pipe that's where we thought everyone would skate mm-hmm. and then we came back and everyone was sessioning the bottom because mm-hmm. some sections were good some were rough it was built, I don't know if you remember, but it was built with like quarter pipes. Mm. Like, so did it leak? Some spots in the middle, like where it didn't get sun, it mm. would leak. Like you'd have to like sometimes clean it, you know, but it wasn't bad. There was a drought. Like you, it wasn't bad. And people like put rocks up there and damn it if it was coming down a little bit, like uh. trickling, you know. But like there was like these, there are three foot wide quarter pipes they were put together to build the full pipe. So at vert, there was like a seam that was like a foot and a half of vert. So it was like a quarter pipe, foot and a half of vert, then over vert. And then the seams didn't line up. Like some of them were offset. So you had to aim. Like you could just ride the pipe randomly. You had to go straight up and aim until the, the fucking quarter pipes were flush. 
Because mm. if you hit that thing, you just fucking die. Yeah. So it was a gnarly pipe. And I remember going there and we were skating it, kind of skating it a lot. And all these spots, dude, Los Altos pool and stuff, you miss wherever you go, you hear these stories. Did you see Blackheart skate this yet? You know, and you're just like, dude, I don't even know what the fucking guy looks like. <laughs> and one day we went there and fucking Blackheart and maybe KT and Waldo Autry were there. Mm. Waldo Autry is like the pipe guy, you know, like baldy fucking. But uh, we go there and fucking, I'm just like this little Grom's like, whoa, fucking finally. And dude, gnarly skating to this day. Like way higher than you'd gnarly. seen. Yeah, dude, because we go there and people be getting like right below the seam. And if you're getting a seam, you're fucking ripping. Yeah. Blackheart fucking just starts faking and he's fucking faking over the seam. <laughs> you're just going, whoa. And it's high, dude. The seam's like 11 foot, you know? <laughs> like, so you're a little kid. You're just going, holy shit. And, uh, he starts kick turning, dude, and he just getting higher and higher. And there was these dots up there that were like, probably like, they used to be probably holes where they poured their shot the fucking creed in and then mm. clean them up. But there's these dots at like way up there, dude, like 10 o'clock and fucking blackguards like hitting the dots and shit. Like huge, so high. And then he'd come down fakey and do a 360s over vert and shit. Oh, man. Like real, like this, the first skating i saw in person that was at the level of the magazine guys okay so far beyond what we all thought we were ripping and then blackheart came in and just fucking swept us out of the way you know and was he a dick to you or like what was his attitude with you guys not not even acknowledge you or like how did you guys find this pipe or like what was his deal Nah, dude, he, we didn't even exist. Oh, okay. <laughs> just like fucking didn't even want to speak. <laughs> just fucking like, dude, that's plat. It's got to be him, dude. Like, uh -huh. you know, they're drinking beers and shit. Fucking like, yeah. But uh, I, I didn't get to know him really until Winchester opened. And I became friends with KT before I did, became friends with Blackheart. Like KT kind of took me under his wing and was hooking me up with Tunnel wheels and decks and shit mm. shirts like and then i remember though at introduced me to blackheart at the bottom of the half pipe at winchester and this is a classic quote i'm like hey what what's up with that fucking how's that ramp and you know they, they have that big ramp that was in skateboard magazine that he's skating yeah and he just looks down at me and he's just all what ramp skates away i'm like that was like my introduction like fuck nice meeting you yeah he was heavy did you skate the park in uh coyote point i don't think so Where's okay that? it's like right before the san francisco airport there's like a big park there now and golf course but oh, I, I, th I think yeah yeah we sh i wrote it once that's all it took <laughs> i heard it was shitty right it was so bad yeah, yeah. okay that's it the had one. pools and stuff but they were just so kinked and horrible like it's kind of unskatable. And then they had a pipe that was made out of corrugated metal and then they sheeted it with plywood. But that was all right. But like, yeah, I went there once and we're all fucking over it. Okay. There's too much good stuff to skate, you know? And did you meet KT before Thrasher started or after? Before. Okay. So I hanging out with those guys uh, in the seventies. Wow. So I, I, 
fuck, I've skated good pools with those guys. Uh, I turned them onto this pool in Gilroy that I wasn't supposed to fucking, I was supposed to keep it under the lid and I fucking, I couldn't fucking hold out, dude. I told Mike Fox and we'd go there and it was at a ranch in in uh, Gilroy, like a garlic ranch, onion ranch. And uh, you could, you had to skate on Sundays because the fucking farm was shut down. Mm. And then uh, me and Mike, Mike started picking me up like before school, we'd crack it and we'd be down there like the crack of dawn. So we'd get out of there before eight, before they open. So we were skating it a lot. And then uh, I told KT about it because KT was hooking me up. Like, he was kind of a mentor for me. Like he's, he's the one that gave me my nickname Meekster. It started spreading like once KT knew, then Blackheart knew, but I think Mike told Blackheart, I told KT, then the Buck brothers are there, then Schlafly's there and it's turned in these sessions. And then those dudes started putting tunnel stickers up and shit. And we showed up one day and it was jackhammered. But oh. to this day, it was the best pool I've ever skated. <clears throat> like it was, I, it was better than Winchester's keyhole. Like wow. it was a perfect egg shape and the sidewalk was the coping. So the coping was molded and poured. Oh. And so it was like four foot wide, like a path around the pool and there was no stairs and the pool, like, it was like nine foot deep, 10 foot deep with killer trannies, like a foot of vert. And it was like, they tilted it because there's no waterfall. It was just an angle. Mm. And the closer you got to the shallow end, the less vert it got. So the shallow end wasn't even vert. It was like a mini ramp, like, but like a steep mini ramp, like almost vert. Wow. So it's like, that's where we learned to drop in. Because oh. you couldn't get down there and push because there was no waterfall. Mm. I learned rollings at that pool actually, but like, yeah, like we were skating all kinds of good pools. People had like their pools they'd hold on to, like back to where we were talking about trade and shit, you know? Yeah. I like that. <laughs> is there a story behind uh, KT coming up with your nickname or is it just typical KT throwing words around? He's like, me too. Oh, huh? He's got his own vernacular. I think he invented the NorCal vernacular, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so fucking rad. He just sit there and spit shit out. dude. <laughs> and you just all, it is all rad. He actually, there was nothing behind it. Like he would just make up words, you know? And like, first he was calling me Keithage. Keithage. <laughs> just like I'm just rolling with it, but then Meekster stuck. I think he called Scotty Scottage. <laughs> Scott Foss. Yeah. <laughs> hey Scottage. Like KT. Yeah. I always had the fucking And bird. that kind of set this the standard for the mag, I think. Like they they had all these like like the trash section. It has all these undercover names. Like if you're not in the know, you don't know who they're talking about and all that stuff. It's, it's like, like talking ed. Yeah what that's all about like those dudes used to say like it was like <laughs> oh you're talking this like they'd be all but can't you be all talking vert talking you know and so talking ed you know what i mean like that's my perception of it like it's not like talking ed like he's speaking it's like you're talking editor <laughs> you know what i mean yeah I, kt's personality was in that magazine dude his soul I'm yeah, and I always say that, like, when I was a kid, he was the dude that was coming, because we were in uh, Palo Alto, we had a skate shop down there, and he would show up with the mag and just ask about your scene and be super cool, 
And like he was the first dude that I actually saw in the wild from the mag. And we always appreciated it so much. And just like his like kind of loose and just like fun attitude. Uh, that's what was, we, uh, that was just everything. It was like, yeah, fun, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They used to have raging parties at, at their house in Los Gatos on that ranch I was telling you about. Mm. You go there and just be a, this congregation of all skaters. Cause you know, you go to parties, it'd be like high school party jocks and shit. Yeah. But those parties are just hundred percent skateboarders, like super rad, super fun. And they held like, I think Steve held onto that property for a long time. Like he told me, uh, his parents even lived there for like 10 years. Oh, really? Out his parents moved in. He was living somewhere else. And he came back, moved there. That shit's all gone now. So talk about like the era where, um, I guess Mike probably starts the band and, and you're, you're like singing for Los Olvidados in the beginning, right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, how did that all go down? Was there any band before that or is that Mike Fox's first band too? Or did they already dabble in it or? That, I'm pretty sure that's Mike's first band. Okay. Like it's weird when you, I talk to Ray and then I talk to Mike and talk to Matt and like everyone's stories are a little different and timelines different, but Mike hit me up. I remember I was, dude, I was like, I was over the hill. I had to go to court for some shit I did. And I got dropped off in Palo Alto. And Mike's all, we'll pick you up. There's a pool there. Like, so I just waited at this major intersection for them to show up. And uh, we skated kiddie pool for the first time. And that's when Mike was like, hey, we're starting a punk band and you're singing. I'm all, all right. Like, (laughs) I was already into the whole scene and stuff. And, uh, so that was like Matt Etheridge on drums, uh, Mike Fox on guitar, Mike Voss, the singer, was on the second guitar, Ray Stevens and me. I I didn't even get a gig in. Like I we just practiced. We had we did a bunch of cover songs. We had like two original songs. And then I quit like after like six practices because I was living in Santa Cruz and I didn't drive. Mm. So I dropped off and we practiced, and then I'd just be like stranded marinating in sj with nothing to do for days mm. you know so i kind of was like ah oh, man i'm surfing and stuff i i yeah it's too hard to get over there and then then mofo started singing and so that was lost all we daughters with mofo and then mofo was out of it and then mike gave up mike voss started singing and then there was just one guitar with mike fox but then there was drunk engines which was the original mofo los alvidados lineup so yeah that's um that's so like there's so many crossovers and uh i love this story mofo told me that um drunk engines kind of started because he was started working at the mag and he was getting shit like you gotta you gotta work for us you can't be in a band you have to be a photographer not and so they thought okay we'll put masks on and no one will know it's us oh that's and- awesome I never knew that. <laughs> that's hiding in plain sight <laughs> that's, that's so crazy. cool i mean just like total like we're not gonna give up you know yeah yeah like you can't can't tell them what to do on my fucking free time. What? Yeah. And when I talked to those guys, they all, I was like, what's a good question for Keith? Like I asked a bunch of different dudes that knew you. <clears throat> the one question that was in common was what's the story about Jackie O? <laughs> no shit. That's the question. 
<laughs> That's all Mike Fox, dude. Like, I, I heard Ray Stevens' version of it. <clears throat> Mike's all, I got this song. And so that was like our version of 1-2-X-U. Oh. The little, little slow part, you know, and it's all. And, dude, there was like seven words in the whole song. Like, Jack, yo, on the go. Jack, yo, on the go. And then the guitar comes in, it's all jet set, jet set. And that was it, over and over and over again, dude. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What were some of the clubs that, like, San Jose, were you going to San Jose more or San Francisco more or both or? No, like, by, by that time, I was living in Santa Cruz. Oh. There was a couple little clubs, like, some guy had a warehouse in Harvey West, and he had punk shows there, like Circle Jerks played there and Black Flag, and it was just a warehouse. And then there was like a the art center, the Santa Cruz Art Center, it's still there. But in the mm-hmm. back, there's like a small like theater setup. It had like seats, you know, for plays or something, and like the capacity was like 37 people or something. And this guy, Henry Hample, was having shows there, like MAD would play and Young Alcoholics and DOA actually played there. Oh, sick. It was like a lot of parties and stuff, but like San Jose shows, I would go to them, but it was more this, about the city because the city was so rich. That scene was just, it was insane. Like all the top bands were going through the city, you know, when they were on tour. And Dead Kennedys are from the city. God, there's so many bands from the city. They had such their own scene. They had their own, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and then the L.A. bands and bands from all over would go there, you know. But So besides that Geary spot you were talking about, what other, do you remember other venues early on yeah, in the city? Was, so there was the Mab. Right. On Broadway right above it. And then mm-hmm. there was uh, the Tool and Die, Sound of Music, Deaf Club, Elite Club, 10th Street Hall, uh, the Temple Beautiful, what they called it. You know, the People's Temple was the Temple Beautiful. Yeah. That was mainly what was going on like in the early 80s, like from 79. Well, I mean, Def Club was early. Like they were probably having shows there in 77 and stuff. I never went to the Def Club, but that was like up until like 82. That's kind of when I wasn't going to shows as much. Like it kind of got popular. And it used to feel like when you'd go to a show, you'd know like half the people there and like it was like a family. And then it just got bigger and bigger. And, uh, and then I showed up like, <laughs> going in a circle and calling it the pit and fucking like it used to just be chaos, you know, and then all of a sudden it's a circle and we're like, well, what the fuck's this? You know? Yeah. Like, and then there was the people before us, like, you know, Tim Lockfelt and Chris and Anthony Fisher from a lot of flex and mm. those guys like Tommy and Tony, like those guys saw some early shit. Like in 1980, 81, I was going to a lot of shows up there. But after that kind of, got more into other things mm-hmm. you just like you started surfing more that you're living in santa cruz right yeah i started surfing <clears> like 1980 <throat> and i got really into it like i surfed a lot like i surfed more than i skated when i was pro skater like i was into it like i was sponsored and stuff right what's the the santa cruz vibe has always seemed pretty like I guess surfing in general is territorial, but Santa Cruz always seemed more so like if you're not from here, like I don't know the spots, but let's just say pleasure point, like don't show up here, like steamers yeah, lane, yeah. you're out of here, like yeah. you're uh, west side, east side. Kind of regulators and, and stuff, you know, but it was like that back then, like all the spots, you know, like 
it was controlled and there was rules and like people would come in from the outside and not know the rules or the pecking order. Right. It fuck everything up and they get hassled. And, you know, like some spots were like fucking hard to serve dangerous, you know, and you got guys just paddling out there and like, nah, man, you got to get out of here. But now it's a free for all. It's just done. You know, yeah. but it, yeah, it used to, there was a vibe definitely. And it, it's even like the whole town kind of had a vibe because it's a tourist place. Mm. It's small. And then like a lot of tourists would come to the beach and just leave their trash and just, just kind of fuck up the community for the day. And, mm-hmm. leave, and then the locals are ending up cleaning everything up. And so there's like animosity building before I was even around there for sure. Like when I first moved there, like, dude, I wasn't allowed to serve spots. I had to fucking work my way up for years, you know, and earn respect, give respect. Yeah. And that kind of, that whole like deal's gone now. Mm-hmm. It's blown out. You got money, you're buying a house on Pleasure Point, and you're the guy. You know, oh. what I mean? it, it's it's pretty bad, right? And it's crowded. It's so fucking crowded. Yeah, you don't want to go on weekends for sure, right? It just seems like it's always crowded. Uh. <laughs> like I don't know if anyone works anymore. Like, yeah, I always trip on that because to be a good surfer, you have to surf all the time. Like it ain't easy. Like it's you gotta like get out there. And so I'm like, where do these guys get all these hours? <laughs> yeah, totally. It used to be more like uh schedule out, like, okay, all the kids are in school, so it's mm-hmm. uncrowded before school gets out, and then all the dudes working, they don't get out till five. So mm-hmm. it used to be pretty uncrowded if you could work it, you know, like not mm-hmm. have a job and survive, but that's a lot different now. Well, let's talk a little bit about Thrasher. What do you remember, like, as the origin story and stuff? Like, what do you remember? Like, were you in hearing any discussions before it came out? And, like, what were the reactions as it, as it does come out? Like, that kind of, I guess, <clears throat> 1981, right? January. Yeah, I remember... Uh hearing stuff like rumors you know because um i think at that point kt had moved to san francisco right Mm -hmm. and uh we went up to the first mile high ramp oh tahoe very first one and uh chantry was there we went up there and stayed at mike chantry's house with kate and kate invited us up and me and scott foss and i don't know that's where we met tony hospital and Fuck, I forgot what I was fucking talking about. Oh, yeah. Someone mentioned Thrasher was in the making, right? I think it was Terrible. Like, I think he knew what was going on. He's like, yeah, a magazine's going to start. It's called Thrasher. And I remember writing on the side of the ramp, uh, you'll all become Thrashers or be thrashed or something like that. Hmm. And that was like the first time I started hearing stuff. And I remember being at NHS telling Novak, too, like, dude, we need a magazine. There's no magazine. You know, and that, you know, they were probably already building that whole idea, you know, uh-huh. that's the first stuff I heard is like with that Tahoe trip. It's the first time I heard mention of like Thrasher, the word, you know? So you were with NHS before Thrasher started? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. I started skating for Santa Cruz before Dwayne, before Salva, like oh. only original guy on there before me that kept going was, was Olsen. Olsen. Yeah. I got, they actually asked me to skate for him, I think, in 77, and I said no. <laughs> and uh, fucking, I don't know why. <laughs> and then uh, I got on in 78. 
78. And before that, were you on uh, Astral for a bit? Yeah, how'd you know that? Like, that's crazy. This guy did his research. So that's why I said no the first time, is I was writing for Astral, and uh, this guy, John Chrisick, had something to do with the team. And he saw me skating. I was riding this longboard with a broken arm. I had just broken my arm. And I, so I was just cruising. He's all, so, hey, no way, man. Who's that guy? And I'm like, kind of looking at him like, dude, I'm not even doing anything. What are you talking about? And fucking, I remember him saying, like, he was talking to someone. Someone's all, that's fucking Meekster. And like, he didn't even know I rode Vert and shit. And he's all, is he as good as Cheeto? So <laughs> Martino is Jim Martino's little brother. Yeah. Yeah, he, he better Martino. And they're all, and the guy just goes, hey, you want to skate for Santa Cruz? And I thought, I was riding for Astro and I thought it was kind of weird. I'm all, dude, you haven't even seen me skate. I'm like, fucking broken arm, just rolling around like, it's weird. So I just said, no. I thought it'd be cool to say no. <laughs> fucking stupid, you know? But uh, I ended up, after Astro, I skated for Hout for like two weeks and then got on Santa Cruz. So it happened anyway, like six months later. And so NHS is, it's Novak, Hout, and Sherman, right? Right, right. And so d did you know that Sherman, he yeah, passed? Yeah, Sherman was still around when I first started skating for him. Oh. Yeah. And what were those guys like? Were they like Novak or were they a different breed? Like Sherman was gnarly, dude. Like He's like a big dude fit like kind of a no nonsense kind of i was kind of intimidated by him i didn't really speak to him much you know mm. um, and he passed away pretty quick after that so i didn't really get to know him um and then novak's like you know novak yeah Fucking novak's novak right yeah old school surfer he's got great stories and i mean yeah. i've known novak since i was probably like 14 or something uh -huh. and so, uh, i end up working for nhs in 1980, like I started skating for him in 78, started working for him in 80. And so I got to know those dudes really like Novak, like really well. And mm. we got along good, like surf and stuff. And, and how, I don't know how very well, but he's just a fucking legend surfboard shaper surfer. He's okay. still in surfboards, still surfing. Like he's legendary old school Santa Cruz surfer. Okay. So there's like a lot of, a lot of culture in that. NHS name. Mm -hmm. When you're talking about the mag to Novak, does he kind of hint like we got something going or are you talk like, how do you find out about it? Is it through KT or? When we went to the Ma high ramp, I heard it. And then I can't remember, like must've got the first issues from KT. Mm. Like you said, he'd show up places and he'd pass out the mag. And, yeah. But I remember like, it was cool. Cause it was like, the way KT did it, it 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 made it made us feel like it was our magazine. Mm. You know what I mean? Because we were always like skateboarder magazine, skateboard world. Those it was so like Southern California fucking driven. It, this felt like oh, we have our own mag. These that, these are our bros. They were putting this together. We've known these guys for years already. Like they didn't just depend on the fucking California scene. They were always bringing in articles from all over the country and. You know, people you never heard of, like you're starting to see a bigger world skateboarding or skateboard mm. magazine was just fucking, I don't know, kind of constrained, you know? Okay. Yeah. It was interesting when I talked to Brian Brandon, he was talking about like submitting and I think like Tim Kerr, like Texas had a scene and, and it was all yeah. funneling into Thrasher and they were getting these things from different scenes, which was really cool. Florida, East Coast, like. 
it, it wasn't just, it, I don't know, it was getting kind of fucking stale, you know? Mm-hmm. Same dudes, every fucking skateboarder magazine cover, same dude on the cover every time, same dudes in the articles. Like, right. It's cool. Those dudes ripping everything. I'm not giving shit, but it was like, it was just, it's like, fuck, dude, there's a big world out there. Yeah. Fucking, let's see that. But that's what Thrasher kind of felt like, you know, it's our guys that built this and there's some pride there, some NorCal pride. Do you remember meeting Fausto for the first time? Yeah, I met Fausto early, but like, uh, I wasn't one of Fausto's guys. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, you know how he takes guys under his way? I wasn't one of those dudes. Mm. I remember Brian Buck gave me my first set of indie trucks, experimental fucking 109s, like, and Fausto, I'm like, Fausto, I don't, because I kept asking him for trucks, you know? He'd give me shirts and shit or whatever, but I wouldn't get the trucks. And I'm like, I don't need your trucks. I got these. And he's like, whoa, you can't have those. <laughs> Took them from me. And I'm like, wait, now I don't have any trucks. And I fucking, like, where's my trucks? I mean, you didn't even trade. You just took the ones I finally had in my hand. I like Fausto. Fausto was fucking classic, dude. No nonsense. I like them. Absolutely, yeah. I never worked for him or anything, but he knew I worked for Novak, and he'd always be like, you still working for Rich? And we'd have those Mm. conversations. And he was always around, like, at the contests and stuff. Were you at Joe Lopes' ramp uh, contest? No, but I skated Lopes ramp before the contest. Like oh, okay. Ross Cop first moved to town. Mm. And so when he moved to Santa Cruz, he rented a room for my mom. Oh. So I was kind of getting reconnected because I got, I was just full surf, not going to the skate park anymore. Like living a completely different life. Like we went back to the streets. Like it got raw again. Skating okay. pitches, like skating all the way to the skate spot, skating, skating to another skate spot, skating like on the skate 24 hours a day, pretty much, you know? Yeah. The skate park thing was like, okay, take the bus to the skate park. I keep my shit there, skate, leave. And then you go back to the normal world. You know what I mean? Like, but Santa Cruz is like fucking awesome, dude. Like skating parties, going to the beach, surfing and the whole, the whole skate thing was accepted. Like mm. San Jose, I was like, no one gave a shit about skateboarding. But then mm. I moved to Santa Cruz and I'm meeting my, my friends' parents and shit. And they're all, oh, yeah, we heard you rip at skating. They're like talking the same fucking language and stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah, I heard you fucking do good backside airs. And shit. like, you just thought, what the fuck? This is sick. Like, you guys know what's going on. Yeah. Like every day was an adventure, you know, and then the punk rock thing happened and last dudes moved to Santa Cruz and started building this little scene. It was fun. And when you were working for NHS, that's when the uh, slasher comes out, right? Yeah. That came out in like 85. And did that, that, did that originate from like a a show or something? Yeah. I heard it was on a flyer or something. Do that for a surf contest flyer. Right. Oh, surf contest. Dudes were like, it's too gnarly, like tone it down. And so they didn't use it. And so that sat on the shelves for years, a couple of years. And then I was running the production area at NHS, like doing all the silk screening. And I had Friel under me and Mike Nider was working for me and all that. Wow. Friel so was there then? We Fuck, I hired Friel. 
<laughs> no way. <laughs> I hired Niter. <laughs> wow. Uh, so I worked directly for Tim Piamarta. Okay. How I got in that whole thing. I mm-hmm. learned a lot from that guy, you know, like there's a lot of wearing a lot of hats at NHS over the years. But uh what are we talking about? <laughs> Here we go again. The dude. slasher board. Oh yeah. So we had moved from 41st Avenue to Soquel after it was growing and Olson was doing his SOS stuff. And so we had a meeting with me, Novak, Tim Piamato, Olson, and Phillips. And Phillips brought the slasher graphic to actually show Olson. And he modified it, put like a fucking pompadour on it, full greaser looking. It was sick. Like I, I, that was the first time I ever saw it. I was like, whoa, that thing is insane. And Olson just didn't like it. Huh? No so, checkerboard. Oh, I don't want to do that. And then right then Tim's all, we're doing this with something. And I was already writing, I was cutting out my own shape to skate, like on the bandsaw. Every, every skate I had, I'd write my own shape. He's all, we're going to use your shape and put this graphic on it. And I'm like, he's all, well, you'll get like 50 cents a board. I'm all, fuck, cool. All right. But I was still working there doing the screening thing. And then they got the films and they were putting the films on an actual cutout shape, see how it fits. And Novak comes in and, and Tim's explaining to him like, yeah, we're going to, you know, use Meester shape, give him 50 cents a board, you know, blah, blah, blah. And Novak's like, dude, let's just put his name on it and give him a buck board. And I'm just like, fuck, this is getting better and better, you know, like, and that's kind of a weird way of how that came about. So your name was, was on the original one? Huh? Your name was on the original? I thought maybe it was like Slasher and then your name was on the it next round. Slasher and then my name was always Tiny somewhere. Oh. Which was kind of a weird little Tim Piamarta fucking, I think maybe I, I got his model or I don't fucking know. But it was a weird little suppression deal that was going on there for years. Okay. But, uh, it's all good, you know, but that's how it came together. So it was kind of weird. Like I didn't like go up the amateur ranks and I was more like a, I don't know. I I could skate really good. Like I was fucking, I was going to turn pro at the first Winchester contest, how it was going to pay my entry fee. And I, I, I fucking shined it. I got all nervous or whatever. So Mm -hmm. I was at that level in the late Mm seventies and this didn't happen until the mid eighties. So it was almost like I got sat on for a while, you know, and then I, by that time, dude, I'm surfing, got girls, or drinking beers, like, wasn't that into it. Like, you know, like, if I would, that would have happened earlier, I would have been more focused. Uh-huh. Like, Were you guys partying pretty hard back then? Yeah, dude. I I think I started smoking pot when I was 10, oh, 11, yeah. <laughs> and then started drinking when I was 13, like, just in it deep. I tried pot. Uh, I've been sober for over 10 years now which god i nice. wish i done that like 20 years ago i know i During just hit high. eight years oh sick right on yeah. yeah feels good huh so good i owe you an amends for this buddy like yeah. i always tell people they're like what how what you know and i'm like i don't miss hangovers there's no regrets at all but like when i hit like 40 the hangovers were just anxiety attacks and i i couldn't deal with it i was just like dude something happened i don't know what happened but 
it, maybe it's just me getting older, but like, I can't handle this anymore. Like, yeah. cause we would drink all night and then go to work the next day and it would be totally doable. Yeah, yeah. Then one day it wasn't. <laughs> oh shit. I yeah. used to have crazy delayed ones. Like I'd be hung over for like two or three days. Yeah. Couldn't get out of bed. Headaches. Just no. Nausea. I, I, I was poisoning myself. Too, I can't imagine fucking social media because we did a lot of dumb shit, you know. But now everybody has phones. Like if everyone had phones when we were doing shit, there'd be video and photos of some shitty shit that I, you know, it's like I was just wasted. I blacked out. I don't know. And then not you, my fault. Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't there. Yeah. But it was me. Yeah. <laughs> Someone stole my body <laughs> and my mind. What's going on? Yeah, yeah. No, I dude, it's just. Crazy shit. Blood wizard. Blood wizard. Blood wizard. Blood wizard. Blood wizard. Hey, it's Corey at Blue Plate, 3218 Mission Street. Come see us. Meatloaf, fried chicken, deviled eggs. Dollar Olympia beers. We're here every day of the week. We got a garden and we got smiles on our faces. Come let us make you happy. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Schmidt. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. When you subscribe, you'll get notifications every Tuesday of new episodes the minute they become available. Also, please leave reviews and a five-star rating. It's the best way to help the show grow. All of the episodes will always remain free, but if you would like to help support the show, you can do so at TalkingSchmidt.com, where you can pick up some merchandise like t-shirts, beanies, hats, and stickers. The website has an entire archive of all of the episodes, with extra photos and videos. Email us with any suggestions, comments, or ways that the show may have improved your life at TalkingSchmidt at gmail.com. All interviews are conducted, edited, and produced by Schmidty. The intro music is Mary's Cross by the band Nature. A very special shout-out goes to the executive director, Cheryl Camisa. Shout-out. Love it! This is Talking Schmidt, where the Rolodex is deep, but the conversation is deeper. Keep the wheels greased.